welcome again to the Live Love Local podcast with me, your host, Darren Langill. Today on the show, I have the CEO of a very well-known local brand that's now expanded across Canada, Rocky Mountain Soap Co. Rocky Mountain Soap Co. was bought by Karina and her husband Cam 21 years ago with one employee and less than 100k in annual sales. With blind faith and optimism fueling them, they embarked on now a 21-year growth curve to take Rocky Mountain Soap Co. into the amazing brand it is today. Rocky Mountain Soap Co. was focused on being and was an early leader in the personal care and beauty space by not only making products safe and good for us as humans, but your whole family and the earth itself. Karina and Rocky Mountain Soap Co. has over the years been in the spotlight for so many great reasons. And these are just a few. All the way back 2002, Profit Canada's hottest startup. 2004 and 5, Alberta's fastest growing companies. 07, 8, 9, 2010 and 11, Alberta's Venture Fast 50. And then various other Alberta and Canada fast growth company accolades. Recently in 2018, named one of Canada's 10 most admired corporate cultures. And then Karina herself has been on many, many top women entrepreneur lists across Canada, such as the Profit W100. It's an understatement to say how honored I am to have such an amazing local entrepreneur on the show. Somebody who has done it and is such an inspiring woman in business for so many. An amazing mother and wife, somebody who continues to show us how passion can be sustained over multiple decades when you do what you love in a way that you love to do it. Enjoy my chat with Karina Birch, CEO of Rocky Mountain Soap Co. Welcome to the show, Karina. So um, I'm so excited to have you here. You and I, it's been a little while since we talked and I kind of bugged you a little bit because I know you're a busy lady and I'm really excited to have you on the show. Well, thanks so much for having me. I've been looking forward to it. Tell me, first of all, kind of like, how have you been? I know you're a spouse, um, a mother of three, and of course, you run this incredible company. How is just life as a whole right now for you among all of this? Um, yeah, you know what? The way that feels when you ask, I think, says to me, we probably don't ask each other enough how we're doing. Um, I think at this time, yeah, it actually, it, what I'm saying is that it feels good to be asked, how am I doing? Because <laughs> um, it's been a crazy year, but I would say I'm doing, I'm doing really well. And, you know, I think that some of, you know, my life experience leading up into COVID really helped with that. Um, you know, it's been 21 years of growing a business. If I was in year three or four or five, I think I'd be in a very different place, um, you know, but having some life experience being in my mid forties, you know, I've already had a number of challenges that I think have built some resilience and some experience in a bit of a playbook to be able to navigate, you know, what, what we just went through over the last 12 months. Yeah, fair enough. And you personally live out in Canmore, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So, and of course you do business in Calgary and beyond, have you noticed anything different from just the vibe of being in Canmore, like this very unique place in this world versus maybe just the pressures of like Calgary and like, you know, what, what it's done. Have you noticed anything that you've that just, as you've been experiencing life as, as both, cause you've, of course you connected to both so much. Yeah. I mean, of course I spend the majority of my time in Canmore and yet, you know, my network is really, you know, across, across the country, especially because we've been building a remote kind of workforce um, and leadership team across the country. So, you know, I have had a good snapshot of, it's, it's been very clear to me the difference between a lifestyle in Canmore and elsewhere in the country. And, and I think that relates to Calgary as well. But I can tell you, I mean, almost every day, somebody, either myself or somebody in my close network who lives in Canmore is like, Thank God we live in Canmore. It is it is heaven on earth. I can't tell you how great of a quality of life we have here. And I remember the first, you know, 
kind of six, eight weeks of COVID and, you know, we were homeschooling the kids and I'm working from home. It is very intense, you know, cause we were closing 13 stores and laying off a whole bunch of people. And at the same time, ramping up our online business. And it was just, it was so easy for me to go out for a walk or a run or a hike. And as the seasons change, our activities change, but it's just, it's always right there. And it's definitely, um, it's a big part of our lifestyle. I mean, just, you know, tonight I have a regular standing cross country ski at the Nordic center with a girlfriend. It's just so easy to get out in nature. And, you know, maybe later on um, in the podcast too, we'll talk about my new brand, which is also, you know, fueled and inspired by, you know, my time in the forest, but, you know, Canmore, we're just, we're so lucky here. I mean, it just, it never at any point did we feel locked down Um, like to have this big outdoor backyard you know just from our doorstep is it's truly it's un it's unbelievable and you don't have to be I think also outdoor activities and exercises in general is going in from this like you you have to be an athlete into being accessible to everybody there's just so many ways to participate in activities in the outdoors and I think COVID has brought that to the forefront as well. Yeah, I find as we've been kind of locked up and told to be in our homes, it's almost felt like a chore sometimes to like get the whole family together and like get out to say in Calgary, like get it to Bonas Park if you can when it's open. But, you know, I think when you've got it in your own backyard and maybe is, is it in general that the overall pace out there just tends to lend itself to just ease versus this, I mean, Calgary-based hustle bustle that that is on us is that what you've noticed and is that one thing as a business person you feel like it's a little different there it is I mean I can tell you just from our office you know which holds um in total about you know about a hundred people and for our shipping um manufacturing and our office team and you know before COVID when everybody was here all the time 4 30 I think I would be you'd be hard pressed to find somebody here at five Right. And, you know, it's, it, it's, it's, and it's, you know, it's not that it's that people are wanting to go outside, um, especially when the weather's good or, you know, there's fresh snow, or if you're not going outside, you're taking your kids to some sort of activity. So there is, yeah, it's definitely a different pace. And I would say, I would debate, I would debate anybody whether that means we're less effective or less efficient or don't work hard. I think, you know, when you have an outdoor lifestyle, when you have an active lifestyle, you know, I think you're, you're bringing this intensity into your work life, you're getting it done, you know, in eight hours, so that you can enjoy, you know, this other aspect to, to what quality of life is. And that that actually feeds into the whole question about this work from home balance that a lot of business owners are having to do where they used to be able to see their employees, and you knew they were there. So you just assumed they were getting the work done that you're paying them for, right? Rather than the trust, which has to come from a work from home type setup where you don't know and you're not over the shoulder, but the trust comes back in. And I, I've always been a bit at big advocate to just my employees. I trust them. If, if I didn't, they wouldn't be with me. And uh, I'm going to, I'm going to know they're going to achieve that, whether they're in front of me or they're at home. And I've really embraced that, that over this. And it seems like that's just, again, part of your culture there too. Yeah, it is. And, you know, similar to you, I think it's been a very positive thing for us. I think we've, I, I think we're more efficient working from home. I mean, we're, we're, we're in a mixed kind of phase right now where some, some are at home and some people are coming back to the office. Um, I think when you're at the office, it's to, to your point, if you're just in the biz- building physically, you're considered working. Um, but at home, it's not the case. You actually have to be working to be considered working. You have to be available. Uh, you're you're on Zoom. You're on Slack. You're you're on email. You're on text. It, so um, yeah, I I would say certainly haven't noticed um, you know a, a drop in productivity. If anything, I think we've seen a boost, and I think people are much happier. Again, maybe it goes back to the lifestyle in Canmore. I think in general our, um, you know, the people that we work with very much enjoy the flexibility that we have right now to be able to combine work and personal life in a much more dynamic way. 100%. 
I noticed that you wrote an article for New Trails. Uh, U of a. So you're a U of A grad as well, is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so they, they were asking you about lessons learned during the pandemic. And uh, as I, like you said, 21 years now running Rocky Mountain. So um, you wrote five different things, if I can remember right, that, that just helped you navigate this maybe better than some others because of, again, the ability to have been in this business for a while. Can you, do you remember what that was or comments about some of the top reasons you found that you're navigating things and so is your company? Yeah, I mean, there's certainly been a couple of fortuitous things that we had done over the last couple of years that absolutely helped us. One was, you know, we had like the very first thing, the most noticeable thing was we had a hand sanitizer formula in our, in our lab that we would actually make for friends and family um, because it was so good. It was non-drying um, that some, we had some family members who were actually just using it as a moisturizer. Um, and so we would make small batches for friends and family. We allowed the team to play and just, you know, if, if we had been working with the university of Alberta and found this ingredient that was a mushroom derivative called keto and it ended up being, um, almost like a gel that was quite hydrating. So we said, why don't we put it in? Let's make a hand sanitizer. So, you know, we, we felt, we built this ability to play in the lab and just explore whether that's in, you know, inspired by an ingredient or inspired by a pain point that we were trying to solve. So we've often sometimes, you know, created these, you know, sometimes fairly kind of obscure and wacky formulation ideas and allowed to play. And it just happened that, you know, the hand sanitizer formula was sitting there. It had already been completed and then COVID hit. So one, you know, so we had it there. We didn't have to start from scratch to, um, you know, over the years we had already been used to working with health Canada and getting approval for products that made a claim. So we, we had built that muscle. We had had those capabilities. So getting health Canada approval was very quick and fast. We have an in-house design team. So, you know, printing labels, everything just kind of fell into place. We were well equipped. We built capabilities um, that allowed us to, to do well during COVID. And I think that point of like building capabilities is something I'm very passionate about when it comes to how you build a business. And for us, you know, speaking purely from my own experience, it has been 21 years of organic growth. We've never taken on additional capital. We've never been, of course, I shouldn't say we've never been drawn by trying to achieve this hockey stick growth or thought about what would an injection of capital look like for us? Could we grow better? Could we grow faster? Of course, you know, those, those ideas we've explored and have been somewhat appealing, but we've always come back to, this idea of, you know, building just a solid, sustainable, strong, uh, profitable company. And I think part of that stems from wanting to sleep at night um, and to not be overburdened by, you know, excess risk being put into the business. That's certainly informed our growth. But when I go back to building capabilities, you're, you're, if you're a business of building capabilities, that's really trying to be good at something you do have to sacrifice speed. You can't have both. You can't be really good at something and be fast. And so what we've chosen to do is focus on, you know, always growing from a position of strength, always having a strong balance sheet, always having good quality products, treating our customers well. And then internally from an operations perspective, really focusing on building capabilities in, in operations, in marketing and, in all of these functions and you know we've we've we have we've put so much effort and it's certainly not the best part of running a business like I I hate taking a step back from growth and building systems and processes and fixing things it's painful like if you're an entrepreneur and a founder that's you know you don't want to spend your time doing that but it is necessary in order to get to the fun stuff so you know throughout the 21 years we have taken a pause on growth you know, sometimes for up to two years at a time where we're, we're just growing organically, we're not opening stores and really just fixing the space. So again, coming, approaching growth from a position of, of strength. And at, like I said, at some time, at some point, sacrificing speed for, 
um, for doing things well. And I think that's worked to our advantage. So when, when we went into COVID, we didn't have this house of cards that could tumble, right? We, we were, we kind of approached this last year of uncertainty and, and so much unpredictability, you know, from, from a position of strength. And again, even, even thinking that we came at it with a position of strength, it still, it still felt like this fire hose exposing these cracks in the foundation, right? Like we were blasted with this, um, you know, the stores closed and online took off and we stress tested the business like you wouldn't believe. And there was these clear cracks in the foundation, which we immediately were like, okay, like let's fix this. It's so clear. And I love those moments of pain where it's so clear when something's not working, that's such a gift because, you know, it's like, you know, we were just having this conversation yesterday. It's like, it's like treating cancer. Like you may have cancer, but you don't know it until you have a symptom. And it's the same thing in our businesses. There may be underlying operational gaps or pain points that you just don't know are there until you, you start to see the symptoms. And so COVID's done that for us. It's, it's, it's really, um, you know, allowed us to see with better visibility, maybe what would have come up, you know, a couple of years from now and to be able to come back and fix that. I like that term of just building in the capabilities because that might mean, and it probably it did for you guys, similar to like the sanitizer that was literally in or proverbially in some cases like on the shelf or we're not going yet, but we're ready to go. Right. And then that is that kind of what you're saying? Like we built that the structure so that we might be not be setting fuel to that fire now, but it's there for when we choose to right when it's the right time. Yeah, exactly. And, and then for us, we, we try to make sure that those, those capabilities are very strategic, um, that we know that there's there's value there um, that we're going to use. It just may not exactly, may not be now. Yeah, you're right. It's not, I mean, most most business folks were just like, we just want to go, right? It's just like, just go, 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 step one foot and keep rolling. But I mean, I've heard it a few times now, that theme to just be okay with pausing for a moment and be okay with just keeping that and making that foundational layer a little stronger before we go. And yeah, right, it's the hardest thing for So where does that come from? Is that your background that's just like to pull back and to hold or is that Cam? Or like, how, how did you learn that? I mean, you're from a business <laughs> background, right? With a BCom, I believe. Um, yeah. Like, How does that come in? <laughs> yeah. It's not natural. I think it's definitely not Cam. I mean, that's where we complement each other. He's very much, I have a long to-do list, let's get at it. You know, it, it's literally done right now. And that is like the tension that I think works really well for us, um, can be super frustrating, you know, for both of us um, to often be on different pages from that perspective, fast versus quality and, you know, this tension, but it's healthy. And I would say, um, you know, where that really comes from or where, that's really built in me in terms of a discipline is time. You know, like I, I certainly wasn't like that in my twenties. I think it's something that's built up over time. And then, you know, six years ago, I went back to Harvard because here's the other point, like you're as an entrepreneur, your business only grows as fast as the growth of the entrepreneur. Right. So our business has only grown as fast as we were able to learn and grow um, and, and adapt as well. I think oftentimes, you know, the founder or the entrepreneur, the CEO is, is the, you know, the limiting force. So, you know, at some point, if you can imagine 21 years ago, I was ringing in sales and making product and paying bills and cleaning the floor and turning the lights on and off. And over 21 years now, you know, I, I don't do any of that. Now it's more, you know, working in product development, guiding strategy and ensuring we have quality of thinking and we're growing the business in the right way and, you know, strategic finance and capital planning and all these different things. So those skills I didn't start off with. So at some point um, I would say it was about, maybe about that 10 year, 10 to 12 year mark where it was like, Whoa, okay. Like I just felt this, you know, like it was stressful. I had to, you know, to skill up and I um, joined you know, a friend took this program at Harvard, he loved it, convinced me I needed to go. 
So I did this three-year owner president management program at Harvard. And it was there where I think the what I was thinking about in my mind was really crystallized in this idea of, you know, strategic growth and really planning and building capabilities. And, you know, I would say it was would was cemented there. When the when the the smartest business school in the entire world tells you here's how to think about your business you take it pretty seriously yeah you have to wake up for sure and then and almost like go through that level of maturity that sounds fantastic so can you speak to like i mean you guys do online you were doing online prior to COVID, correct yeah we've been doing online for 20 years right yeah so that's that was that's been a part of your business and of course for everybody listening and knowing your company you're in retail which is some very high expensive dollar per square foot spaces all across. And I don't know actually all across which areas you do serve and you can tell us, but you had big leases, big costs, plus the online. How did COVID impact you guys just from a, from a business? You mentioned just in passing there in our early dialogue, 13 stores closed. Was that already part of the plan or is that because of COVID? Yeah, because of COVID. So when, so we had um, 13 stores, across the country most of them are in Alberta and then we have store in Toronto Winnipeg and we just closed our uh, Vancouver store our lease was up and we just thought it would be better you know to re-sign a lease when we have a bit more certainty and see where where things are going so we took the opportunity to close that store so we still have 12 stores open the first kind of six weeks of COVID when everything shut down and the shopping centers closed we like in one I think it was two days we made the decision and all the stores were closed and everybody was laid off and you know enormous amount of logistics and and questions to be answered how do we keep the plants alive in the store what do we do with the inventory where is the cash going like keeping track of all of these moving parts you mean to do that in two days and and then the whole HR side personally calling each of the stores making sure they're well supported as they transition to temporary unemployment and all this stuff. So, um, so yeah, the, so 13 stores, we, so yeah, we had this, we had this six week period of what it was like to be an online only business. None of that was planned. So we went from shipping the, you know, the, I, I would say, Pre-COVID, at, the, in, at this time last year, our business was 18% online. Um, this year, we're projecting um, 55%. Wow. So it's a so big the, shift. So this year, our online revenue will, will surpass our bricks and mortar revenue. And we had... We had this, you know, this case study of six weeks of being an online only business. So our, our logistics team, our fulfillment team went from sending large orders to the stores to then sending small online orders out um, with a, and a lot higher volume. So again, massive changes to our business, um, just incredible changes, how we're resourcing, how we're planning for growth, where we're building skill. It's all, um, it's, just completely different than it was. So does that, that must, that sounds to me that it speaks a lot to the strength of your brand and your customer loyalty that, uh, that of course they came because it was easy as they're walking through the malls, but um, as they couldn't do that anymore, you transitioned them online and they followed you. Is that pretty fair to say that you had a following like that? Yeah, we, we saw a lot of our customers go online and, you know, again, being an early, um, adopter of like launching hand sanitizer early gave us this ability to acquire new customers and have the this conversation about the brand and there was this pivoting pivotal moment the day we launched hand sanitizer online because again all the stores were closed so we did an online launch only we were so excited we knew it was an amazing product we had worked really hard it was high quality 100% natural and we launched it. But remember in that time, in those first few weeks, people were, were, were hoarding. So things like you were hearing these stories of people overcharging for toilet paper and, and paper towel. And when we launched our hand sanitizer at $18 for a 250 ml bottle, we initially had, because our, our product reviews on our website are open to anybody, you don't have to have used the product to write 
a review. And I think we just something we did without really thinking. And it said, like, of course, we want the feedback, just let's open it up. But when we did that, we had a oh, little like, I think within five or six minutes, we had about 100 product reviews of people saying, how dare you price gouge? This is on this is unbelievable. We're in a pandemic, you should be giving it out at cost. People didn't know, like the first 10,000 bottles we had given out for free to um, the medical community and not just in our community where there was zero COVID cases. We, we went specifically where, um, you know, the hospitals were in more need and, and we went to shelters and, um, you know, to, to many different parts of the community. We spent a lot of effort figuring out where to, where to give those first 10,000 bottles. Then we launched it online. And, and so, and it was the first moment in kind of this 21 years where the brand was like being questioned. I felt like the brand was being questioned and it, and it, and it felt in those first, in that first hour, like it felt like we did something wrong. People were really upset. Like we, you, we should call the media Rocky Mountain Soap is, this is not right. And, and I really had to ground myself and take a deep breath and think about what was happening. And, um, and then I came to this realization that, and this was the, you know, a tipping point for us where I said, you know what, this is for a company that values high quality natural products. This is it. Like we're not gouging. This is the price. It, this is how we standard price everything. Um, nothing's changed. And I wrote this letter on our, on our product page that basically said that like for a company that values high quality natural products, this is what you get. Uh, you're welcome to shop elsewhere, but this is what we stand for. I'm not going to apologize for it. You don't have to purchase with us. And from, and then that moment, um, our, our loyal customers, our existing customers then really came to the forefront and, and, and overtook the conversation over the, the next couple of weeks. And so I tell that story because one, it's, it was a moment to strengthen our values really be clear on what we stand for you don't have to like it but that we're uber passionate about it we're not going to do it any other way this is this is just what we do and um it was great to see then as people started to try the product and now it's not an issue you know we have thousands of reviews it's a five-star review people love the product the price makes sense none of that is an issue right now but what that did, what that moment did those first few weeks was we acquired a, a bunch of new customers um, into the brand. So hand sanitizer was the catalyst for acquiring new customers who are then adopting um, some of the other products that we have. Wow. That would have been a, one of those, like my heart drop in my chest moments, right? When you're yeah. thinking, geez, did that happen? We almost did the same thing we we had launched a campaign done all the video all the editing with a bunch of my agents behind the scenes and it was our home matters campaign and we were literally about to launch it to just speak to the power of home and ownership not just buying and selling real estate and, and and to this day we have these videos out there and we just paused we didn't put it out there because we thought the that it was almost going to seem too convenient to have this like home matters impactful piece because it started to matter more than ever. Um, we felt really good by it, but then we, we just shelved it for a bit and uh, out of fear of about of that reaction, even though it was heartfelt and it just, the timing would have maybe felt too, too, too perfect. And I didn't want to go through that with my brand, but good on you for doing that. And of course, sticking to your guns. So I love that. What's, um, now, you and I met way back in EO organization. So you've been doing this for 21 years as a business person. You bought this company. You built it from, I think you said, one employee to what do you have now across the country? I've, it's close to 250. Wow, amazing. And again, I'm sure the revenue levels have just gone crazy. The, o, the EO world, you, I mean, is, again, not everybody knows it, but it's a community of entrepreneurs like you and I that have to hit certain thresholds of income but it's a place where you're safe and you're like leveraging each other's experience and sharing. Now, are you still involved with, with, with them at this point? 
Uh, no, I'm not a member anymore, but I was a member for over 10 years. Uh, I'm in a, I'm in a group, um, but we're just not um, formally part of EO, but it's in a, it's, it's similar type group to what EO offers. So really like the value of having, you know, this peer to peer entrepreneur kind of network or, or, or small group to be able to touch base with once a month, you know, to, you know, go through your challenges, successes. I mean, are you still in EO? I'm not now, no, but again, similar. We did, we kept a small group together and, and, and I asked because I've done it in circles like EO with just any business industries from all over, which is great. And I've also do it and I continue to do it just within my real estate kind of okay. section. And I find it so valuable. And, and there's, there's agent, there's, um, entrepreneurs like yourself that are still connected. There's some that have done it um, for the past and now they really crave that. And that's something I always suggest people find, whether it's a formal organization like what we were a part of uh, and there's others in the city. What are some of the other ones you know of? I know there's some both based on the tech world and there's also some for the hundred million dollar companies and, 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 and then there's yeah, YPO and tech. Um, and there's one other one that's, eluding me results.com also started up um a ceo startup kind of um similar type group that i was part of you know a pilot project which was phenomenal highly recommend checking that out because we did it virtually and we were and they were connecting ceos across western canada and it was we were meeting online every two weeks it was i mean it's same idea right you just you know, the more you can talk out loud with other entrepreneurs, your, your journey, your experience and hear others. I mean, the learning is it's phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's exponential and it's it, not everybody knows what you're going through and it's good just place to build this, be safe and, and to put it out there. Yeah. Now, looking back through your company track record, you guys have basically been nominated for every version of award, um, <laughs> whether it be like fast track awards, it be, you know, woman entrepreneurial leader awards, cultural awards. I mean, a lot around a lot of things over your journey, which is impressive. So I wanted to ask you about a couple of things. Um, you know, let's go into the first topic, kind of those like fast growth awards, Alberta 50, you know, those other things that you were part of in the early, I think it looks back in you know, a decade ago or so, I saw those, yeah. those faster growth awards. Can you think of like why um, you guys were, you know, kind of honored in those years about, you know, you talked about slow and steady growth, but obviously, the these bodies that offer these awards were thinking that, no, these guys are actually growing at a pretty good rate. And maybe in those early years, what what do you think painted that picture for you, allowed that to happen? I mean, we, like both Cam and I, Cam and we, we met at a fishing lodge in the Arctic in our early 20s. From there, I went from, I mean, that was my work experience. I had waitress to pay for school. I worked up in the Arctic, you know, waitressing and cleaning cabins and bartending, like really worked hard to pay for school. Cam had a similar story. He's three years older. So by the time I graduated with my business degree, he was out in the world for three years. So, you know, neither of us had a lot of experience. So this business is all we know. And so to, to look back and think like what made it successful or what were those kind of early days of growth? How did they feel like it's, it's almost a hard to, it's, it's hard to describe because it's, we, it's all we know. It's hard to compare it to anything else. But I mean, it was, it felt like there was just so much opportunity for soap and natural products and bath and, and skincare. And it just felt like whenever we put our head down and worked hard, you know, the needle moved. Um, consumers liked it. We've always put, you know, the customer in the middle of what, we do always because I mean, I mean, this is all obvious stuff, right? Like we're, we're earning the right to, to take dollars out of somebody's wallet, right? We're we're trading product for, for people's money and people aren't willing to just give money for anything, right? Like you, you have to work hard for that. And especially when it's a competitive environment, but you know, we, like we, we, we learned 
that we had to be competitive from day one because we bought an existing business. It was very small. We paid $40,000 for it. The revenue was $86,000. We basically bought, bought inventory. Uh, it was a business that wasn't making any money. It had, they, she had just opened a store um, and, and sold it. She had run it, you know, Trisha Pearson had run it of her home for a couple of years and opened the store and we bought it. And what, what we didn't know at the time that there was a buyer before us who had looked at the business and actually put a deposit down and learned all the trade secrets. They had all the recipes and the know-how of how to run the business. They didn't end up coming through with the rest of the money to take over the business. They ended up walking away. We end up coming onto the scene by the business. Didn't know this had happened with a, with a, potential buyer six months earlier. So we, here we are, we bought this business. We're working really hard. We have nothing to lose. Like we don't have a mortgage. We had a car that had a little loan payment. We own nothing, like literally nothing. So the risk was very low. We had no children. We weren't married. And then within that year, this, this initial buyer opened up the exact same concept in a better location in Canmore. And so like those were formative years because at, at right out of the gates for us, we're like, we are not in a bubble. Like we are competing uh, even in this little town of like at that time, maybe camera was 8,000 people. Right. So, and there's two soap stores and we're having to think about that. Right. And, you know, but there was room for both of us in the end, we both, the both businesses still exist. Uh, ours is much larger. We grew much different, uh, much grew a much different business, but they're still around and they must be still profitable. So that those early days, you know, when we were winning those awards and, and we were growing fast, I think it was never fast enough for us. Cause at that time too, like, you know, there's this tech boom and, you know, these, you you know, companies, there's always, everyone's always so much bigger than you and everyone's always growing so much faster than you. That's what it felt like. So as much as we were proud of what we were doing and it always felt like there was momentum and we were moving along, we never felt like, aren't we doing so good? Aren't we growing so fast? It was, it always felt like never fast enough, never good enough, always, always challenges, never focused on, you know, we rarely look back and, and think, wow, look how much we've done. You know, we're starting to do that a little bit more now, but we honestly, we just work, we work so hard in the business. We're so focused on it. We're always looking out the windshield. And I mean, I don't know that that's always the best way to do it. I think you do have to take a step back and think about where you've come from and what you've learned and what you've done well, what you haven't done well. I think our nature is always to look at what's coming up, what's coming up, what's coming up. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's uh, competitive, you know, it's hard to find an industry that you don't have competitors with, but you were thrown into this microcosm by the sounds of it, where it was like two very similar things. I could only imagine that toughening you up and uh, so that you could just plow, plow forward and, and, and start to build the business as you did. That's a cool story. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Now, they, they also talked about cultural awards as well as just being like just women in business awards. I mean, those must be two things that you must be pretty proud about. Just the culture of your company, you know, not only just with the employees, but also um, why you do the things. Because I know you're in this very like organic and natural product world where a lot of the competition isn't right. When you look and you walk the malls and you look at, at a lot of competing product, it's the complete opposite of that. I mean, I mean, did you want to talk a little bit about that from a leadership, a strong woman crushing it out there in business and what that means to you, of course, as a mother and then the, the cultural side of the business? Yeah, I mean, those are both great um, things to talk about because, you know, I feel I feel very fortunate that, you know, I mean, this is going to sound bad that, you know, Cam allows me to be the CEO, but, you know, I think... <laughs> I think there's still a conversation there because um, like Cam doesn't care. He's not, he's not driven to be the CEO of the business. It just worked out that, you know, to lead the business uh, from 
a CEO perspective to look at, you know, the overall strategy and growth and, and product development. That was just naturally my skill set. And Cam's was was more on the operations and and the accounting side. So we we both kind of played to our our skill set. But I have to tell you, it 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 still and I hate to say this, but and it doesn't affect my ability to own it or to, to claim my role and, and kind of be very fierce in it. I mean, I, it, it suits me well to be in this role, but I have to admit it is in the back of my mind that, you know, why isn't Cam the CEO and like, it's terrible to, it, I don't think that's right. Like I want my girls, you know, I, we have three kids, two of them are the two oldest are girls. Our oldest is 16 I just don't think it should be even a question for them that they should have as much opportunity as they want and every door should be open to them. And, you know, there still exists in EO groups that don't take women. And it's not that they're anti-women. It's just for whatever reason, there's this narrative built up around we work better, you know, when it's all men. This still exists. It's still like this. And I'm not okay with that. I'm very frustrated by that. I'm frust- I get frustrated by my own feelings of, you know, should Cam be the CEO? You know, he, I mean, none of, I mean, of course not. Um, of course, yeah, but the more we can support women, I'm passionate about supporting women. I'm always mentoring a couple of women at any given time. I joined the 51, which is a fund that invests only in in female entrepreneurs we've come i mean we've come such a long way there's so much opportunity for women but we're not quite there yet like they're now we're peeling back the layers of the onion and it's all these subtleties that we're looking at and um so yeah i am i'm proud to be uh, a, a female kind of woman ceo um and entrepreneur passionate about helping other women get there um you know and it's important to me i'm passionate about it so whenever there's a a, you know a a female entrepreneurship award or recognizing women in leadership um yeah i'm 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 thrilled to be part of that and very honored like extremely honored um to have those few awards um myself and and i love to see women in our own company you know growing and developing their leadership skills as well and how- your kid, your, I mean, your daughter, your daughters must, I mean, how are they, I mean, knowing the business you've grown all, that's all they know, just like it's all, you know, now um, they, they must, I mean, well, they have to be so proud and they must feel like the shackles are a little bit off a bit to just go and be whatever they want. And that there is no barriers, even though I know there's still, like you said, those layers that need to be shaved off and figured out. I'm hoping that they must be incredibly inspired to just to, to do it. I mean, does that, do you get that sense from them? I do. Doing? I do. And I think, and rightfully so like our 16 year old, you know, who's in grade 11, actually what she talks a lot about is toxic masculinity. So she's, she's like, Oh yeah, this whole feminist thing. That's like, that's like your generation mom. We're ta- like, that's already done. Like women, we, you know, I have lots of opportunity. I'm not worried about that. She's thinking about it you know, they're talking about toxic masculinity. What is, what are the constructs men are working within and how can we remove, you know, those barriers? Like, you know, what does it mean to, you know, and, and I think, yeah, okay, this is another great conversation. And it's a sign. I agree with you. There's a lot of hope we're moving, we're evolving, we're being more progressive. And certainly this next generation is, you know, starting from a different level. Absolutely. I totally yeah. They're going to take it to a different level that, yeah. uh, that uh, maybe we've, I mean, what is it you say you open the, you crack the cork and you can't put it back in. And yes. it's finally the fact that that's been cracked. And, and someone is someone like myself would be naive to, to, to know all of all the layers to this, but the hope is again, without prejudice that that's starting to run and just go right and go yeah. and build that narrative uh, as deep as, as it needs to go. Um, Agreed. As a, yeah. as entrepreneurs, um, do your kids have that entrepreneurial spirit? You think in them being coaching them and mentoring them as being business owners versus you know corporate life? 
Well, they certainly are not short on feedback for us. Like, I mean, they're quite vocal when, you know, they have opinions about the business, uh, especially how we approach social media or some of those things where they feel like maybe they're the expert on. Um, Yeah. I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to say. I mean, I think at this stage, what, you know, what they've grown up with and what they've seen just seems so normal to them, almost like it's boring. So I, I think once they go out and, you know, once our oldest daughter graduates high school, you know, maybe goes to university or, or, you know, starts a career, it'd be interesting to see how they then think about the business. Cause I think, you know, looking at what we've done from a, a 10 year old's perspective, a 13 year old's perspective, a 16 year old's perspective, I think it's very different from what that will be in their twenties. Right. So see, neither of them have started a business, you know, outside of a lemonade stand on the corner, you know, et cetera. But, you know, they're all three motivated by money because we don't, um, you know, we buy our kids clothes at the start of the school year when they go back to school. And then if they want other, you know, clothes, we typically don't just go out and buy it for them. So they they're incentivized to make money to, to spend on the things that they want we're trying to instill that in them. So this fiscal kind of responsibility, money management piece. Um, but yeah, not, not seeing like some obvious entrepreneurial genes yet. I love that. I mean, I love that you build that. Uh, I mean, you talk about, yeah, that they're learning to, to know their needs and their wants as well. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and that's the difference between just going out and buying the next, going out to the mall for the next sale or the next hot trend item. So I love it. What, um, what's next for you guys? Yeah, I know you've been working on something new and is that, is that just, is, I mean, can, do you want to, can you speak to that? Um, what is going on over at Rocky mountain or is there other stuff that you're cooking up over there? Yeah, well, uh, lots of stuff happening with Rocky. We're working on some new kind of innovative formats, all, you know, I would say largely based around sustainability. So, you know, working on waterless formats, um, Mm -hmm. refills, lots lots of kind of new product innovations coming out between, you know, kind of in the next six months for until the next two years, lots of new products coming out. Um, all centered around kind of the core business, you know, so cleaning skincare and that we're not entering in any new categories, um, in the next couple of years. And then the other thing I'm working on is a, is a brand is a new brand, um, a completely new brand, um, outside of Rocky. And that is uh, a brand called Rax Ribbon. And that is my passion project, which is, um, you know, something I kickstarted with a, with a government grant two years ago. And, and the whole idea being that as I was going out and spending time, you know, in the forest and hiking and started to become more familiar with the plants, one like growing in the crack of my driveway, this wild chamomile or, you know, the rose hips in the backyard. And I I just started to get very curious about these things and it's, it just sucked me in. And so this brand is this new skincare brand is it's one product. It's a wild foraged face cream. It's an anti-aging product. It's uber expensive um, because it is made with wild foraged ingredients. So I've gone out, uh, a lot of the plants have been foraged by myself or I've worked with other foragers across Western Canada to collect these wild, um, wild plants. And why, why should you care about wild plants? Well, I'm glad you're saying, cause this is like a really fun fact that's mind blowing, but wild plants are a hundred million years older than humans. Some of the wild plants growing in our backyard have been around a hundred million years longer than we have. Right. So like, you know, what happened, like, what is that all about? Like, how did they get here? And how did they, how have they survived epochs? Right. Um, and still growing. And, you know, they've, they've changed like the horsetail we see in the mountains, you know, maybe would have been maybe 12 feet, 12 feet, you know, 
millions of years ago and now they're like you know they, they're they're much shorter but the idea being that these 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 species exist these wild plants and there's so much to them and traditionally wild plants um and herbs and flowers have been used traditionally for healing um, over many, many, many generations, like lots of recorded history about the use of wild plants, but very little science. Right. So my, my kind of, my, what my next life's work is going to be is to, is to start to bring together this fragmented research and science around wild plants and their benefit on anti-aging. So we've, we've collected wild plants. We've learned how to extract them. It's like a 10 week extraction process for these plants to get them to a point where we've we've extracted all the the antioxidants the vitamin a the nutrients the vitamins and to be able to put them into a luxury um skincare product so it's one product um that i'll be launching in may and it's it's based around you know these wild foraged anti-aging ingredients amazing so that's um that it's going to be an online based again set up is that where you're, you're going to be selling online and, and are you going to run it through the stores too no it won't have anything to do with the existing business with rocky it's going to be a separate business it has its own website um and, and i will sell it in a couple of stores but i haven't started that sales process yet we're still just fine-tuned like now all the packaging's arriving and we're doing the finishing touches on the on the cream and final testing and and all of that so still kind of a, it's still it's still a startup but you know the idea being that it's it kind of rocky is for the people it's easy for us to produce it's based on you know more um, cultivated ingredients farm ingredients you know this brand is purely wild foraged it's scarce i can only make so much you know we we forage sustainably so the 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 amount of raw materials we get is quite small so i'm only um you know, make, making, creating 5,000 jars to sell in the next year. So that this is my kind of my side project. And eventually I'd love to own some wild land where I can build a research facility and, you know, maybe a restaurant and a, and a place to spend the night and come in and just to learn and, and, you know, do a deep dive into this wild plant life. Love it. Yeah. A lot of the, I mean, my wife and I are quite uh, down that health path too. And so, I mean, a bit, a lot of what you're saying is kind of striking a chord because, you know, just the, the people that you just kind of tend to follow who experience kind of like that ancestral wisdom and that old nu nutrient density that comes from it. Uh, sounds very cool. Very, very neat. I got a couple more minutes, I think with you before you got to run, I got a quick question. Yeah. What, um, any favorite books? What are you reading right now? Something fun. Is there anything that you can pass along or is there some super boring must reads for us business folk that we should yeah. uh, jump into? I mean, I, I only read boring books, I think to most people, but yeah, I mean, I'm reading, I'm just finishing, which I've loved um, the history of Canada and 10 maps. Oh, it sounds, I know it sounds dreadfully boring, but it is not, it is really good. It's fascinating. And it's, got me on this whole kind of learning journey about the history of Canada. Um, recently, I also read um, Gentlemen Bankers, which is the history of JP Morgan. Also very fascinating. It's great insight into, you know, like modern day banking and, um, you know, and I also just read a book actually on, um, the U.S. Fed. I'm interested about you know that organization and how it you know it is not a it's not a government arm. It, it's actually separate and how that started and so yeah. I'm a bit of I think I like history. Uh, I like to understand you know the stories of the people who who were doing things before us and piecing you know parts of their stories into what it means today in terms of modern time. You find uh, that's probably, I mean, that curiosity is a bit of the reason why, I mean, your brand has a story to it, right? There's this sustainability side, this natural side that, uh, that you guys play into and your culture plays into. Do you mean, is there you a natural kind of like storyteller and you want it to mean something rather than to just do it for the sake of doing it? Yeah, I think that's probably right. Oh, very cool.
if somebody hasn't tried your products, like what's, what's like the one or two sentence pitch about the Rocky Mountain Soap Co product line that they just maybe just continue to avoid or have, haven't jumped on it. Like I've got, uh, my wife and I are, we've got time. Look, I got your men's oh, face yeah. right here. Oh, nice. But uh, again, we're big fans. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, I mean, re really, I mean, you could probably get it through, well, everything we talked about in the podcast, it's really everything we do is, generally done the hard way. We only use 100% natural ingredients. That doesn't seem maybe so um, unique today, but 21 years ago, you know, we were one of the first pioneers of natural. I think having started 21 years ago and doing, we formulate from the ground up. So everything we do is from, you know, base kind of raw ingredients and putting them together in order to, to solve you know, uh, you know, create something for the skin or the hair and it's all a hundred percent natural. So, um, yeah, I mean, with us, you're getting this deep expertise of natural, you're getting good quality formulas and we should all be, you know, I think we're all support, looking to support local right now as well. We're looking for, you know, to, yeah, to connect to our community and, and what's around us. Is there, is, is, has, has the rise of natural and organic been like that has trend has that you've noticeably seen that trend organically grow this last little bit where just the sales are rising and you're you're getting that yes because you have a great product line but because there's this awareness and this consumer want is that is that a real thing yes because you know early on I would have told you um, in the early days, like the insertion point for the brand was really a woman, a, a woman who's pregnant because now all of a sudden she's hyper aware of what she's putting on her baby, what she's bringing in for the family. And, you know, if she's buying the personal care products for the family. She's very aware of what the ingredients are, wants only the best and has to be healthy, wants the best for her children. And now, um, you know, we're to the point where that's not, that's not the main insertion point for the brand anymore. Now we're, you know, we're look, cons you know, consumers are finding us for the first time because they just want natural quality in, you know, products. So there's been lots of shifts. I mean, that's even a whole nother hour of podcasts, what the yeah. industry has been doing and how, you know, I think the personal care, the, the beauty industry follows the food industry. There's so many parallels. We're like maybe five to seven years behind and just, you know, how we've seen our, just our, our attachment to food and how the quality attributes have changed in, few, in food. I mean, you would, seven, eight years ago, you go to the grocery store and, you know, the organic was more expensive and they were small, the, the strawberries, and they were small and maybe slightly molding and not, and, and it was like, you know, it was on the fringe. Those people who bought organic was on the fringe. But now if the, if the strawberry, and they didn't look as good, but now like our, so we didn't buy them as much in general, like in talking mass consumers and mainstream consumers. And it was only the, the, the small amount of people buying organic, but nowadays everybody likes to buy organic and our, and our quality attributes have changed. Our quality perceptions changed because if the strawberries look too big and they look too red, we question, mm -hmm. Oh, well, how come? They're yeah. not meant to be that big, right? So, and, and we're seeing that in kind of the beauty world as well, our, our quality attributes are changing. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's nice to see that shift happening because, I mean, the premium shouldn't be such a premium, right? If we can get it in line, more people will get it, take advantages of all of these things for their body and their biomes and everything else that comes from it. Yeah. So. Well, where, where's the best place for people to kind of follow you guys? Are you guys Instagram? Are you guys TikTok? Are you Facebook? Like, where do you find, or is it just get to my website and go from there? I think the best place to check us out is Instagram, Rocky Mountain Soap, and our website where you can peruse through all the different products and our story and all the kind of exciting things that are coming up. And then, of course, you know, if you're going out to the malls, you still have the chance to visit us in person um, in the stores as well. 
how are you seeing? Are you seeing the, the, the traffic start to pick up now? Is that trending? Are we getting more people getting out there? And I mean, despite restrictions kind of easing, but I mean, are you just seeing naturally more people and the more flow? Um, I would say right now we're looking at, since we went to the 15% capacity, we, we saw a dip and it hasn't really started to rebound maybe a little bit with the restaurants opening. We saw a little bit of an increase. The weather's getting nicer. Maybe people are going at a little bit more, but no, we're looking forward to seeing a little bit more of the restrictions ease to help with our traffic in store. Yeah. I mean, I think we're all craving that. And uh, again, of course I can't imagine, I know on how much my lease rates are, but for those of you in the malls and a lot of people don't realize how expensive the malls cost structure is and i'm hoping the big reits were helping in that or the government subsidies did a reasonable job with leases or was that or am i just missing the boat did they not help at no, all i think so i think there was definitely uh, a lot of support that retailers could take advantage of which was very much appreciated yeah i would agree awesome. Well, good. Well, I know you got to get running. You got a family and a business to run. Thank you so much for spending time with me today and sharing your thoughts and your journey and all of the things going on. Of course, you've built such a repertoire of experience that I could talk with you for hours. So um, I hope you have an incredible year and this turnaround starts to happen fast and the new project project launch goes uh, incredibly well. So thank you for being with us. Thanks for having me. That was a lot of fun.